This is the Read Your Bible Podcast, the daily podcast designed to help you understand and apply the scriptures. Nothing will grow your relationship with Jesus Christ more than studying the Bible for yourself. I'm your host, Drew Tankersley, and for the next few moments, I want to invite you to join me as we dive into God's Word together. We'll ask God to help us see what He wants us to see so that we can be who He wants us to be. Have you ever got to the point where you had enough? I mean, you tried to do everything you could do to make that situation work out right. You said the right words, you made the right moves, you had the right attitude and everything, but somehow things just didn't work out. And now all you're left with is the frustration and the exhaustion and the fatigue. You've had enough and you're on the edge of just throwing your hands up in despair and walking off altogether. Have you ever been there? One of the things that I love most about the Bible is that the word never glosses over these emotions. We see them in the life of the greatest of men, men like Elijah. Now, few men have ever experienced the heights of this man's ministry. Conversely, few have ever felt the depression and anguish that this prophet experienced. And in 1 Kings 19, we see these emotions displayed for us in the man of God. And it's worth our time to consider what God might be teaching this man in this moment and what he might be teaching us as well. I want you to see verses 2 and 3 and verses 19, 20, and 21 of 1 Kings 19 today. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, May the gods punish me and do so severely if I don't make your life like one of the prophets by this time tomorrow. Then Elijah became afraid and immediately ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba that belonged to Judah, he left his servant there. Now down in verse 19, Elijah left there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, as he was plowing. Twelve teams of oxen were in front of him, and he was with the twelfth team. Elijah walked by him and threw his mantle over him. Elisha left the oxen, ran to follow Elijah and said, please let me kiss my father and mother and then I'll follow you. Go on back, he replied, for what have I done to you? So he turned back from following him. Then he took the team of oxen and slaughtered them. With the oxen's wood, yoke and plow, he cooked the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he left, followed Elijah and served him. Now, the dissonance between 1 Kings 18 and 1 Kings 19 could not be more pronounced. In chapter 18, we see Elijah as a mighty man of God who fears nothing, not even the king. I mean, Obadiah is scared even to tell the king that Elijah is alive. However, when Ahab, the king, finally does meet up with Elijah and calls him the one who troubles Israel, Elijah wastes no time in pointing out that Ahab's wickedness in worshiping Baal is the real cause of the trouble for Israel. Talk about brazen. The man has no fear at all. He has the people prepare two altars, and once and for all, they decide which one is God, Yahweh or Baal. They prepare two altars, and the people of Baal go first. They cry out to their God all day, even cutting themselves and dancing and crying out, but to no avail. Elijah, on the other hand, builds a trench that holds four gallons of water. He has the people pour water on the altar four times, and is dripping wet and filling the channel below. Long story short, 
After Elijah prays, the fire falls from heaven. Elijah is vindicated. The people recognize that the Lord is God. The prophets of Baal are killed. The rain falls, just as Elijah said. All in all, it was a good day. God had miraculously demonstrated who he was. And in the process, Elijah had become the man in Israel. Well, this miracle infuriated Jezebel, the vile queen who threatened now to take Elijah's life. But this, this shouldn't surprise us because they tried to find Elijah for three years and kill him after he prophesied about the drought that they all had just suffered. Still, somehow now the queen's threats begin to do a number on this beleaguered prophet. The text says that he runs for his life because he's afraid of Jezebel's threats. But her threats are based on the gods that she worshipped, the ones that Yahweh just roundly defeated a day earlier. And Proverbs 29, 25 reads that the fear of mankind is a snare, but the one who trusts in the Lord is protected. I mean, it seems incredibly obtuse when set next to 1 Kings 18 for Elijah to fear the threats of these false gods after watching the real God demonstrate his power so extraordinarily. But nonetheless, here, here Elijah is on the run again. Elijah is burned out. He's exhausted and starving. The prophet's been ridiculed, he's been threatened, and he feels like he's the only one left. He doesn't know any other recourse, and he throws his hands up and quits altogether. At the end of chapter 18, Elijah is in a place called Jezreel, but when he bails, he travels to Beersheba, and we learn that this city is in Judah, the country neighboring the one in Israel. The events at Carmel had transpired up in Israel, and so now he leaves the country altogether. He traveled a distance of over 100 miles, and when he arrives at Beersheba, we're told that he dismisses his servant. Again, an almost sure sign that Elijah is done. He's ready to quit. He's burned out. He's exhausted. He's discouraged. He's alone. He's frustrated, and he's scared. So here he is hiding in the wilderness, and he comes to rest under a broom tree a tree who gives off considerable shade. You see, God knew where his servant was, even though Elijah wanted no part of being found at that moment. God's grace met him in that wilderness when he was burned out and heartbroken. The Lord speaks to him suddenly in verse nine. It's almost like Elijah is too startled even to hear God's voice. He wasn't really interested in hearing it, I don't think. And nonetheless, God presses the issue and he asks him, what are you doing here? So Elijah unleashes on God, even asking to die. But this, this is obviously a cry for help. He, he doesn't really want to die or he wouldn't be running in the first place. The man of God had a queen who would be happy to oblige him just a few hours north. He's hurting, his emotions are raw, and he's broken. He spews all the frustrations of his heart, most of which are not true. See, Elijah thought he was the only one left. Well, he knew that Obadiah had at least a hundred prophets in hiding a chapter earlier. And by the end of the chapter, we learned that God has preserved thousands who had never bowed the knee to Baal. But Elijah didn't know that. He didn't know what he didn't know. And it caused him great discouragement. And in those times in our lives, we need to remember that we don't have all the facts. So to make judgments like Elijah did is often unfounded because they're not grounded in the truth. But God's compassion doesn't just find him and confront him. It cares for him. 
the shade that is covering the withered prophet was sent by God. And then God feeds him. This meal wasn't the first time that God had provided food for the disgruntled servant. And I'm confident that Elijah remembered that. See, though Elijah was done with God, God wasn't done with Elijah. God had more for Elijah than he could see at that moment. God instructs Elijah to go to the mountain of God, a place called Horeb. But this mountain has another name. It's Mount Sinai. And on this mountain, God came to another man who was running for his life on the backside of the desert, running away from the calling that God had placed on him. That man's name was Moses. There God spoke to Moses powerfully in the burning bush and he called him to lead the people out of bondage. It would be on that same mountain, true to God's promise years later, that Moses would lead this people to worship God and they would, as a people, fully behold his glory and majesty and power in unique and incredible ways during that season. The presence of God descended on that mountain miraculously before the people as he gave them this law. It's almost as if Elijah is running to this mountain to see some majestic move of God again, to remind him of God's plan for his people that he redeemed out of bondage. He says, they've all abandoned you. This covenant that you made with them on this mountain, they've all abandoned all of it. And I'm the only one left. What God does next is incredible because God does demonstrate his power to Elijah. The phrase passed by here, the Lord passed by him, it's the exact phrase that's used in Exodus 33 that says the Lord said, here in this place near the crevice of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away and you will see my back, but my face will not be seen. The most paramount moment of beholding the glory of God on the face of the planet happened on this very mountain. And Elijah, he needs to see it again. But here's what's incredible. This miraculous display was exactly what Elijah wanted. But the Bible says that the Lord wasn't in the wind or the earthquake or the fire. The Lord came to him with a whisper. And I think this is incredibly telling. Because I believe God is telling him, do you let me worry about what the nation is doing and what they have forsaken? I want you to listen to my still small voice because I'm not asking you to change a country. I'm asking you to be faithful to what I'm calling you to do. You see, I called Moses on this same mountain through a bush and through that one man I called a nation to myself. So you let me worry about that. You be obedient to that voice, to what I'm calling you to do. So he commissions Elijah to anoint Hazel as king over Aram, to anoint Jehu as king over Israel, and Elisha as your successor. You listen for that still, small voice, Elijah. Don't be so concerned with the miraculous intervention. God wanted Elijah to understand that God never moves the same way twice. And he's just as much behind the scenes in the whisper as he is on the front stage in the thunder. And God's plans are not achieved through our designs. They're activated through our obedience. So when we listen to God's voice and obey, we can leave the results of those decisions to him. Somewhat surprisingly, Elijah is stubborn in his depression. And so God asks him again, this time to expose that stubbornness. What are you doing here? Elijah responds with the same selfish nonsense as before. 
To this, God dispatches Elijah back into the ministry. You see, God's compassion was seen in caring for his prophet. His wisdom had been seen in speaking to the prophet. But God will not tolerate his stubborn refusal to listen to God's voice. So Elijah is commanded to go back to Damascus, really having to eat crow with every mile, realizing all that God had done for him as he wallowed in his own misery. See, the solution to Elijah's burnout was not to sit down and be sorry for himself. The solution was to go back to work on being obedient to what God had called him to do. It was to get back up and get back to the work of God in the world by just following the still small voice. Don't worry about the results. Don't worry about the consequences. Just do what you're told. Now, when Elijah calls Elisha to follow him and Elijah, Elisha requests to kiss his father and mother goodbye, Elijah questions Elisha's commitment to the cause. <laughs> Elisha promptly then slaughters the oxen using the wood for cooking them, gave it to the people and ate. Once again, follow Jesus in, in our discipleship will always cost us something. Because then the text says, then he left, followed Elijah and served him. Now, according to Judaism, the ancient model for discipleship is the relationship between a rabbi and a Hasidim. That's the relationship between Elijah and Elisha. So consider these words in light of Jesus' teaching in Luke chapter 9. As they were traveling on the road, someone just said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus told him, Foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Then he said to another, Follow me. Lord, he said, First let me go bury my father. But he told him, Let the dead bury the dead. But you go and spread the news of the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go and say goodbye to those at my house. But Jesus said to him, and watch it, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. We learn a thing or two about discipleship here. When you're called to disciple and you're called to follow Jesus, it's worth surrendering everything right then to go do it because that's exactly what Jesus expects of Elijah and Elisha. So as we think to apply these things, how many times in our life have we felt burned out, exhausted, discouraged, alone, looking for our own Sinai of sorts? Often this comes from us owning too much of God's work in the world. How many times have we looked around and thought, it seems like the church is going backwards, not advancing against the enemy? We have to understand we run the risk of burnout every time we try to own and control and direct God's purposes in the world. Instead, what we have been invited into every time is the purpose of discipleship. Because we're not called to shape nations. We're not responsible for the choices of countries. We're only to invest in disciples. And we don't have to own all of God's purposes in the world. There are thousands of people around the world, just like the thousands God mentions to Elijah. But what God needs from us is not to shape the world, but to invest in discipleship. This process is where God whispers and where we should walk in obedience. Because we get burned out when we own too much of what God is trying to do in the world, rather than focus on what God has called us to do. The calling of God in a whisper in our lives, happens on the mountain in Galilee where he tells us to make disciples. And we don't have to own the actions of the people of the covenant, only to obey what God has called us to do. And that's to make disciples, just as Elijah did with Elisha.
Let's pray together. Father, forgive us when we've wavered in fear because we were burned out, exhausted, starving, and alone. Forgive us when we've acted like the kingdom comes through us. Help us see our part is only to listen to the whisper to make disciples and to leave the kingdom work in the world to you. Thank you for this reminder today and help us to partner with you, not fuss at you. We ask this in your name. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today for the Read Your Bible podcast. For the show notes to today's episode, please visit readyourbible.info. While you're there, you can listen to past episodes as well as access a host of additional resources designed to help you grow in your faith. It's all there for you at readyourbible.info. That's readyourbible.info. For more information about South Seminole Baptist Church, just go to southseminole.com. Have a great weekend. Join us on Monday as together we help you learn to read your Bible.